Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I always have to say hallelujah to give praises to our king, Yahuwah, and his son, Yahusha, the Hamashiach, who died for our sins. Welcome to the Science of the Pod, Covenant Podcast, and I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we say Shabbat Shalom to all our listeners. We hope that you enjoy our weekly podcast as we study our Torah, his statutes, his commandments, and other principles in the Bible, especially in today's times. We have to be in the word with everything that's going on in the world today. The word is what's going to help us to stay on the straight and narrow. So if you have your Bibles, your notebook, your computer, your pad, whatever you need to take notes to begin our study, let's begin. So, Pastor, what do you have for us today? Well, what we're going to be doing today is something that we've already done. It's It'll be sort of repetitive uh, and in going over it in, over in a number of ways that we can not only understand it, but to be able to remember a lot of it. And so since we now have an understanding of the brazen labor and its anointing, we want to look at some of the basic understanding concerning the anointing of the brazen laver's foot. So what we want to do is turn to our Bibles, to the book of Shemuth or the book of Exodus, and we want to look at the 30th chapter, and we want to look at verse number 18. That's Exodus 30, verse 18. <clears throat> and here Moses writes, he says, and thou shalt make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. And there are some lessons that we that we want to learn from the laver. Now, when we look at the laver as we understand it, it was made out of brass. Uh, and at was to contain water uh, in this particular labor that it was holding up. Even though the labor and the foot was considered to be a part of one unit, yet they were to serve two separate and different distinct purposes. When we read concerning the, the brass labor and his foot, it was a place where Aaron and his sons were to wash if you notice in verse 18 where it says that it may <clears throat> that it says here uh, that they were to wash withal. In other words, it's a place that they were to cleanse themselves. And so that was a very important piece of equipment. Apparently, the way it reads, it appears that they wash their hands and the labor part and their feet and the foot part of the labor. So the labor had two parts, one where they washed their hands and at the bottom they washed their feet according to the way it, it appears to be in the scripture. Moreover, the foot not only served to wash their feet, but it also served as a support we now study what we call the spiritual support. Okay, if we would entitle this lecture, we would call it 
spiritual support. Now, so when we read in Exodus 30, verse 18, it says, Ye shall make his foot also of brass. Okay, so when they made the labor, he said, I want you to make the foot also of brass. Here Moses was instructed to make a brazen foot for the labor. Now in Hebrew, there are at least three basic words for foot. And we want to look at those three basic words. And namely, the first Hebrew word is Pam, and it's spelled P-A-A-M, Pam. And the next word for foot, uh, as far as making a foot or a person having a foot, they use the word regale, spelled R-E-G-E-L. So you have Pam, P-A-A-M, and regale, R-E-G-E-L. And then you had the word can, spell K-E-N. So these are the three words that they use in Hebrew for foot. You have Pam, Regal, and Ken. All right, now let us look at the respective meanings for these particular words. Now, Pam means step. In other words, when you talk about a feat, you're talking about stepping or step. And the word Regal means a foot. In other words, like an animal or a man or something may have a foot, okay? We refer to the foot literally. And the word can carries the meaning of a base. In other words, the can means that which something is supported upon. Now, of these three words, the one which our text speaks about is the third word listed, which is can. This is the word Moses is using for foot. And it was a base, now, a base was used to uphold something, and in our case, it was to uphold the labor. Now, from the understanding of the Hebraic word kin, there is the idea that the word foot has more to do with some type of support rather than actually being a literal foot or a device that was movable. When we observe a foot in general, there are some logical assumptions we may naturally draw. A foot is used to make something portable or something used to stand upon. However, regardless of the plethora of assumptions we may have concerning a foot, there is an assumption that I believe we, <clears throat> we all can share and that is that the basic purpose of a foot is to support whatever or whoever it is that the foot is in conjunction with. So what we are saying, basically, if you got a foot, no matter whether we use the word Pam, Regal, or Ken, the basic thing for a foot was to support. And this is why we call it spiritual support. Consequently, if it is true that the main purpose of a foot is for support, then how does this support operate with the foot of the labor? We know that the labor is mounted on its foot. Interestingly, the labor is spoken of as the masculine agenda. Now, let us notice in verse 18 of the 30th chapter how, how it speaks about the labor. 
It said, thou shalt also make a laver of brass and his foot. Notice it says his foot. It didn't say her foot, and it was not in the neutral, but it says his foot. So if it says his foot, then it's speaking in the masculine gender when it says his foot. If this is masculine piece of furniture, then we must also draw the conclusion that it is also a male foot. So with that being said, then what is the male foot supporting? Now that we looked at the symbolic support, let us now consider what we refer to as the spiritual significance, the spiritual significance. What could be the significance of a male foot supporting a male labor? This is where we run into some questionable symbolic interpretations of which we will ponder. Now, earlier we pointed out that the labor could represent both the tomb as well as the womb. Furthermore, we also discussed that there were three ceremonies which were associated with the labor, respectively. One's birth that had to do with the womb, and then we had marriage that had to do with that, those pots and the wedding of Canaan that had to water, and we had death, which corresponds with the tomb. So these are three of the ceremonies that we can look for in the labor, whereby both birth takes place in the womb of the labor, marriage takes place within the water and the blood of the labor, and the death takes place in, in the grave, which is the tomb of the labor. We know offhand that a womb is feminine. So how can something feminine be represented by something referred to as masculine? If the scripture says that the foot of his labor is his foot, then automatically his brings a male into the picture. It didn't say her foot, even though a womb is associated with a female. It didn't say it, even though it was an article of furniture, which is an inanimate object, could be referred to as chattel, but it says his. So it's not neuter, and neither is it feminine. It says his. So how do we make sense out of his foot and then a womb being that of a, of a woman? And then when you speak about the earth, you talk about mother of the earth, and though when a person dies, they go back into the womb of the earth, and still mother earth is a woman. So how do we put it together with a male's foot and a woman's womb. It speaks specifically about a male gender. Why is this? How do we justify a male representing a female? However, before we get, in, get entangled in the questionable symbolic interpretation, let us review up to this point the significance of the labor and his foot and accessories. We have the following. Let's look at uh, what we have thus far. We're going to be looking at the items 
and then their significance. Now the labor, what does it represent? It represents the womb and birth, the tomb and death, and the cleansing of the word, which is the water. The water represents cleansing and the word. The blood that they washed off from the sacrifice in the labor represents wine, joy, prosperity, and life. The Bible says that the blood is where the life is, so that's what blood represents. The brass represents suffering, pain, and agony, and the foot represents support and upholding. Now we can consider the fact, now we can consider the fact that the significance of the labor and his and his uh, and and his con content was held up by its foot. So when we look at the labor, the labor had water and also the blood in it, but it was being supported by the foot of the labor. We would ask ourselves a question: If we say that the foot was supporting the labors, then just what was it that it was holding up? What was the foot holding up? Now, what we would like to do at this juxtaposition is to view the labor and its foot symbolically, and then we want to observe it liter literally. The labor's foot held up the labor of brass with his water and blood. So when the priests had a sacrifice, they would go over to the labor and they would wash off the, the blood into the labor. And so you had blood and water and the labor, but the labor was being held up by the foot. So we want to take an introspective look at what's going on. Now let us see this same scenario in its literal state. Now, the foot support of the labor of the wound and the tomb of the brass of suffering and the word of the water and the blood of life. Now, let us look at the symbolic and the literal together again. The labor, which is a foot, okay, and it holds up the wounds because the labor represents the womb. The labor's foot holds up the tomb because the labor represents the tomb, so it supports the tomb. The labor of brass, now brass symbolizes suffering, so the labor foot is holding up suffering. And with his water, which is the word, is also holding up the word. And his blood, which is his life, which we call the wine or the joy of prosperity. So the blood is being held up by the foot. So what we're looking at is that everything that the labor was and everything that was in the labor was being held up by the foot. It was given its support. Now that we see that the support for the labor is the foot, we want to look and see, as we look at the foot, what, is, what it, it, it upholds, okay? Now, when Yeshua was born, he was incarnated in the womb of Mary. So when it says his foot, and Yeshua was uh, 
born from the womb of Mary, and in her womb was both blood and water. So when it says his foot, that was male, and we identified that the symmetry or the symbol of the labor represents the wound, and we know a wound is feminine. And the reason why it says his foot is because that Mary's womb was the birthplace of our Messiah, and it says his foot. In other words, when Elohim prepared him a body through Mary's lineage, then indeed the wound is feminine, but it is characterized by the male in her womb, which would be the Messiah. So it says his foot, his foot was in the womb of Mary. Let us now discover who the foot is. One of the keys in understanding the Holy Writ is to take heed to a statement made by Yeshua. Okay, and we want to look at a statement, and I want you to phantom the statement because it has a depth of meaning that sometimes we can read past it, but we want to understand this in order to understand what we are talking about. And we want to go to the Gospel of John, and in the Gospel of John, we want to use chapter 5, and we want to look at verse number 39, okay? So we want to understand what the foot of the labor is, but we want to also understand this text because it can better help us to understand not only what we're talking about, but it can help us to understand the Bible in general. So here in the Gospel of John, and we're using chapter 5 and verse 39, and here Yeshua, in talking to some of the uh, people of his day, he said, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So what Yeshua is saying, he says, search the Scriptures. Now, when you search the Scriptures, uh, there are at least three ways you can search the Scriptures. You can search it by speed reading to get acquainted with it, and you can search it by skimming over the surface, and then there's a search that you do by scrutinizing the scriptures. In other words, you get down into it. You look at every letter and every word and every connection of the words, and you look at the context of it. And when he says search, he means to search diligently. When you lose something, you search and you begin to pray, Elohim, help me to find my key or my phone that I've misplaced. You begin to search. And as you search like the lady in the Bible, the Bible says that she took a lamp and she began to search her house for the lost coin. And when the sheep was lost, they began to search for the lost sheep. It's not a casual glance at the scriptures, but you must search. Now, there's a difference between searching and research. Searches mean when you look over a subject, but the, re the true research is, is that when you search the scriptures to find Yeshua. So Yeshua said to the people of his day, he said, search the scriptures, and if you search them keenly enough, you'll find that the scriptures, they testify of me. So what we want to do is to see how we can find Yeshua in the subjects that we are talking about. When we can discover Yeshua in scriptures, we have the key to unlocking the meaning of the things contained in them. If that is so, then let us see if we can get some insight on the anointing of the brass foot of the labor. Now, we want to turn back 
to uh, Shemuth or to the book of Exodus and in Exodus, the 30th chapter, turn back to the 30th chapter of Exodus. And this time in Exodus chapter 30, we want to look at verse number 28. Now notice what it says in verse 28. It says, and the altar of burnt offering with all his vessels and the labor and his foot. Now the latter part of this verse is talking about the labor and his foot. Now, what is the passage talking about? Well, if we read from verses 22 down to 28, where it talks about the labor and his foot, it's talking about that when they were to use the labor, they were to anoint it. And you remember one of the studies that we had, it says that Elohim cannot use anything unless it is anointed. So in order to use the labor, they had to anoint it. And verse 28 said in the part of the anointing that they had to anoint not only the labor, but they had to anoint the labor's foot. So we want to look exclusively at the anointing of the foot of the labor. When we consider that the foot of the labor was made out of brass, just as the labor, the labor's foot is referred to as his foot, also of brass, his foot. Let us at this juxtaposition examine again some of the symbolisms of the labor's foot and their significance. The foot represents support. The brass represents suffering. The water in the foot represents the word, and the blood represents the life. The anointing or represents a sweet character accompanied by the spirit. The, his foot represents a man, and we know that the man's foot that is represented is Yeshua, our Messiah. Based upon the fact that the foot of the labor was referred to as a male, it is placed in a masculine gender. Now, let us put these symbolisms together to make some sense of them. Let us start where we left off at which would be his foot, which is a male foot. When it speaks in terms of his foot, we must logically understand that the entire labor is a masculine piece of furniture. With that being said, we ask the question, who is the male that is being referred to? In this type, the foot of his labor represents a vessel which the priests wash their feet in. In, in the antitype, the foot would be Yeshua's feet in the womb of Mary, his mother. In the antitype, it would also be, the foot would be that of Yeshua's feet standing in the Jordan River getting, get, getting baptized. However, since the main purpose of a foot is for support, we find that the foot supports the labor and the water in it. This would mean that its antitypical fulfillment would be that Yeshua standing in the Jordan River to be baptized by John, the baptizer, was supporting the, baptiz the baptizing of John was that he was doing. And let us explore this concept a little further. 
And we will refer to it as the Savior support. Okay, we want to look at the Savior support. So often, when an individual is immersed into the water of baptism, we may think in terms of one's sins being washed away. While it is true that baptism is a ritual which symbolizes the washing away of sin, yet it embraces more than the cleansing of our sins, let us take the scenario when Yeshua had come to John to be baptized of him. So let us turn back to the Gospel of John, and we want to see what's going on in this baptism. That's the Gospel of John, and we want to look at the third chapter. And in the third chapter, we want to look at verse number 13, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse 13. Here it says, And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. All right, now... uh, what we want to look at uh, in this particular scenario is that when Yeshua came down and before he started his ministry, when he came down from heaven, okay, and John, for, uh, now what, we've, what we're going to find out here is that in verse 14, let's back up to verse 14, uh, verse 14, and let's go back to 14 after speaking about 13. It said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay. Now, uh, when he was talking to Nicodemus on this particular uh, scenario, uh, we go also to a verse, let me see. He was going to be baptized by John. And in verses 14 and 15, it talks about who he is and why he would be lifted up on the cross. Okay, now, the importance of that is is that the labor was made out of brass, and brass represents suffering. So if he was going to be lifted up on the cross, he was pointing back to the brazen serpent, the brazen serpent in the book of Numbers, when Moses was told to make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole. Now that brazen serpent that was on the pole, that brass represented suffering, and that serpent was going to represent him. That when they looked upon that brazen serpent, that they would be healed of the deadly smite, uh, venom that came from the snake that bit them in, in the camp. And so Yeshua said, in like manner, as they were saved by looking at the brazen serpent, they were saved from their suffering. And Elohim has said that when we suffer, just like Isaiah said, with the stripes that we are healed. And then when we look at that brazen serpent, while we are serpent, then we also will be healed if we look upon him by faith, we look upon his suffering. So, so now when, when John, in the, in the first chapter, of the of the gospel of John what we notice here in the first chapter of John is that here we read it says in verse 28 of John the first gospel 
It said, these things were done in Bathabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. It says, the next day John sees Yeshua coming unto him, and saith unto him, Behold the Lamb of Elohim, which taketh away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of Elohim. And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking up upon Yeshua, he, as he walked, he saith, behold, the lamb of Elohim. So John was given specific evidence of who the Messiah was and who would be coming to be baptized. Now, what we notice here is that uh, when John was doing the baptizing, it goes on further to say, uh, in verse 37 of the first chapter, John, it says, and two of the disciples heard him speak and they followed him. Okay. So they had been reading about the Messiah. And when John gave witness, then they began to follow uh, the Messiah. And so when they followed the Messiah, then they wanted to pursue what he was all about. Now, one of the things that we noticed is that when uh, John began to baptize. Then, in his in his in his baptism, uh, he told Yeshua that he was worthy to be baptized of him. And why was Yeshua coming to him since he was so pure to be baptized? And so Yeshua told John, the baptizer. He says, "Thus cometh us." to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, that when he was getting baptized, it was not because he sinned, but he was showing us the way in order that we may obtain salvation is through baptism. So when he told John, he said, thus cometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He was trying to support John in, in baptizing. So what we see here is baptism was not only to wash away our sins, but it was to show that the Messiah would come and that after we are baptized, he would give us the power of the Holy Spirit. So from this, we can see that baptism is not only the washing away of an individual sin, it is also a time of refreshing by one <clears throat> who is also immersed by the Holy Spirit so when we look for baptism by water, we also have to look for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This facet of our study brings us to another aspect of the labor's foot, and that is its anointing just as the labor. Now, we're going to stop here on this, and next week we're going to study a special topic 
of the anointing. And we're going to look particularly at the anointing of the feet next week. But we want to stop here at this juxtaposition. So, okay, you were saying that um, the different parts of the support, the uh, water was supported by the brass, the laver. And then from there, the uh, blood, and then from there, the foot, which held up and supported the blood. Could you okay, break that well, down again? The uh, representation of the water, the brass, the foot, the blood, and the laver. Okay, just, just, just keep this in mind, is that that foot supported everything that was above it. So let's okay. look at what was above it. Mm-hmm. Above it was the labor that is supported, and the labor represented uh, baptism or the water or the tomb. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, outside of the labor, let's work from the outside in. Outside of the labor, you had the anointing oil that was put on, and we, we're going to be discussing that next week in detail, the anointing of the labor. Okay. okay, now, the labor was made out of brass, which represents suffering, so the foot supported the suffering. Okay. And then when you get, get inside of the labor, you had two things. You had the water, which represents the word, so the, the foot supported the word. And then you had the blood, which represents life, so the foot was also supporting the life okay. or the blood. It supported all of those things. And we needed the feet of Yeshua to support that because if his anointed feet didn't support it, it would fall down. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be of any, uh, it, 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 it would just, uh, it would be nebulous. Mm. Uh, it wouldn't mean anything. He had to have the support. And when okay. John was baptizing, he had to have the support. So Yeshua came down and supported him because John was working on washing away the sins in baptism. But Yeshua was looking forward that when you got washed to give you the Holy Spirit, because when you get into the washing, then you're looking for the Holy Spirit. This is why he told Nicodemus, you got to be born first, Nicodemus, of the water. And then once you were born of the water, Nicodemus, then you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. You can't get the Holy Ghost if you're dirty. So okay. that that foot was supporting all of that. Okay. Now, you also said that the baptism not only was the washing away of sins, but it was also what else? It was the regeneration of the Holy Spirit because, see, okay. uh, when you would wash, you was, it was also preparing you to receive the Holy Ghost. If you read in the 19th, book, uh, 19th chapter of the book of Acts, it was saying that when Apollos had preached to the people, which he only knew part of the gospel at that time until he was instructed better. And, 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 and Paul asked the people after Apollos had preached to him, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost after you were baptized? And mm-hmm. they said, we don't even know, know anything about the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. But see, he only, see, Apollos was only preaching the death of Yeshua. He didn't know at that time that Yeshua had arisen and went back to heaven to bestow the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And so Paul had to teach the people that when you were baptized, you, you received the Holy Ghost. So it's necessary for baptism, not only to wash away your sin, but it's necessary that you get the Holy Ghost. That's, that's what it was about. The preparation for the Holy Spirit, the refreshing. Okay. So you said now next week, you're going to be dealing with the anointing of the foot. Oh yeah, we're gonna be dealing with the, uh, uh, the 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 anointing, right? So is that also gonna tie into possibly the uh, act of foot washing also when we have communion? Okay, that uh, that that may be a part of it, but we we, we before we kind of get to that, we we're gonna we're gonna we demonstrate the anointing, mm-hmm. and uh, the the foot washing is gonna be a part of that. 
Okay. And uh, but but there's, there's another foot washing we want to look at too. That is that is very basic in the anointing. Okay. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. All our listeners who want to stay tuned, you want to come back and look for our podcast the week after, so you can hear you know about the anointing of the foot. So. We are going to head over into our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So, recently we have gotten an email from a fellow listener. And their question, as with many others, because I've been hearing this a lot, is about the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. And some people are starting to think is and ask the question, is the COVID vaccine the mark of the beast? And so we kind of want to explore that. Does the COVID vaccine equal the mark of the beast in this day and time? Because I think a lot of people are associated that it may be the mark of the beast because they are starting to say if you don't have a vaccination card or you haven't been vaccinated, you can't go and buy and sell from certain restaurants, certain stores are asking for people to present this item. So some people want to know if this vaccine could be part of the mark of the beast. So we want to explore that today. And so I want to start off with reading what scripture says about the mark of the beast. And then after we're done, I want to give a few thoughts and then I'm going to turn it over to the pastor to give his thoughts on it. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with us into Revelation, the 13th chapter. And we are going to read the whole chapter of the Revelation 13, because I think when we read, we shouldn't just read parts sometimes, you know, unless we know the whole thing. But I think we need to get the whole basis. Okay, so that's Revelation 13. And we're going to start with verse 1 through 18. And it reads, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, And all the world wandered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against Elohim. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the Kodeshim or saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the sefer of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the Kodeshim. 
And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And deceives them all that dwell on earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on earth, that they should make an image in image to the beast, which had wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed and he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive the mark in their right hand or in their foreheads and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast of the number of his name here is wisdom that him that has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is uh, this is in Hebrew, so I take it six six six, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that stood out to me is okay, in verse seventeen it says, "Might not buy or sell." Well, even though some places have instituted it, it's not instituted uh, nationwide or worldwide just yet. So. Me personally, I don't think this is the mark of the beast, the vaccine just yet. I do believe is that it will lead to the mark of the beast at some point in time. Because if you notice this whole COVID and coronavirus uh, disease, supposedly, as it came about, to me, it's basically a test. And if you know in technology, one of the test things that you see just before they release the full version, you have a beta test. And I think this is kind of like a beta test. They are seeing the feedback, crunching the numbers and basically saying, "Okay, what we need to do to tweak what we're doing so the next time we can fully implement our plan. So, Pastor, I want to turn it to you. What What is your input of the COVID vaccine? Is it part of the mark of the beast, in your opinion? And if not, you know, according to Scripture, what really is the mark of the beast? How might we might know when the mark of the beast is upon us? I think one of the uh, factors uh, that would uh, help us to interpret what the mark of the beast is, is to go to the word itself and let the word explain itself what the mark of the beast is. Now, it's interesting when you uh, look in the book of Revelation, when it talks about the mark, the same word uh, that they use for mark Mm -hmm. is the same word they use for seal, just like it talks about the uh, the Kodeshim or the saints being sealed, okay? Okay. Well, the word for seal is also the same word for mark, Mm -hmm. and the mark is the same word for seal, okay? Okay. But generally, when you hear people talk, when they come to the mark of the beast, they say, the mark of the beast and the seal of Elohim, but you could actually say the mark of Elohim, and you can also say the seal of the beast because they wanted the same word. Okay. But the issue is not so much the word that they use, 
But what we find in Scripture is that uh, Elohim not only tells us what the mark is, but he tells us where the mark will be placed. Okay. Now, I think I think where the mark will be placed in our conversation, what we have about the, the coronavirus or uh, the uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. has to do more with where where the the mark would be. Okay, now when you look at uh, the vaccine and the stuff, uh, most of your vaccine, where they shoot it in your arm. But now what we want to notice particularly is, is simply this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to, let's, let's turn to uh, Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13, we want to look at verse number uh, 16. Mm-hmm. Revelation 13, 16. And this is the crux of the matter here. Mm-hmm. It said, and he calls it all most small and great. And that's what we see happening with the, uh, the vaccine, small and great, the rich and the poor, everybody had, they want everybody to take it. Mm-hmm. Like you say, everybody. See, when they say everybody, that means everybody. Mm-hmm. Okay. He said it calls all both small and great, the rich and the poor and the free and the bond to receive a mark in their right in the mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. All right. So the Bible tells us exclusively that if we can receive the mark, it's gonna be two places. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be on our hands or it's gonna be in our forehead, okay? okay? So when we look at our hands, what does hands represent? The the the, the vaccine uh, is not going into our hands or our head. They talk about putting it into your arm and stuff like that. So we know but, from Scripture that it, it is not to mark because uh, the mark is not going the same place that the vaccine is going. So that in itself disqualifies the vaccine from being a mark but of the beast. Okay. Here, here's, now, but here, here's one thing though, that I've heard also mm-hmm. in regards to the vaccine. And someone had brought this up to me was that when they researched the arm, they also said that in so many words, the hand is part of the arm. And then they have, said also doctors about the COVID vaccine once it spreads to the body one of the main places it spreads and heads to is into the brain so my question is this too is the mark is going to be a physical mark that we all will be able to see or not okay let's back up on your question mm-hmm uh, now you said the hand is the, you said the hand is is a part of the body. Well, we, yeah. we, that 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 is correct. Just like the feet is a part of the body, mm-hmm. uh, all of the parts of the body are coordinating and working together. This is why the Apostle Paul says, "Can the eye say because I'm not the ear, then I'm not a part of the body?" No, mm-hmm. he said we need to hear and the sin and all of that. But when we look at the imagery and the symbolical representation. What I'm saying is, from a theological standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, I'm looking at the at the fact that Elohim is pointing out specifically that the forehead and the hand is where the mark is going to be instituted. Mm-hmm. He didn't okay. say the arm, because when you deal with the arm in the anatomy, yeah, it does have a cor- correlation with it. Mm-hmm. But now, if the Bible had said, well, the mark is going to be received in the arm, which... Uh, we still would be able to prove from scripture that uh, it still wouldn't be it. But even if it said in the arm, then we would have some credence to the arguments that 
the world of medicine says that the hand and the arm are, are apart. Okay. Just like when Yeshua's hands was nailed to the cross, <laughs> we know that the phalanges of his fingers and also his wrists had to be involved in that because if he only had the hands, then he couldn't have been supported on the cross. Okay. Yeah. But what we are talking about is the imagery here that the forehead and the hands, he said, uh, the hands. Now, what does hands mean in Bible prophecy? Mm -hmm. It says Elohim, he created the heavens and the earth, and they were the works of his hands. Okay. Uh. So when we look at hands, hands has something to do with work. Oh, Okay, so that has something to do with work, and then we, we're going to get down to something kind of, uh, you know, uh, symbolically here. Okay, now, and he says, not only will you, uh, there be those who receive it in the hands that represents that work or what they do, mm -hmm. because remember that we are being judged by what we do. Yeah. You know, the Bi Bi Bible talks about our behavior. He said, blessed are they that do his commandments. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's some behavior that is talking about here. And works have to do with behavior. So when you talk about the hands, it says it's going to be something in the hands. Okay. But now he said also you could receive it in the forehead. Now, what is the forehead? That's the head or our seat of reasoning. That's our minds, the way we think. Yeah. So when we deal with, with that, are we seeing the vaccine put in our heads, in our hands? No, we're not seeing that. Now, now like you said, it might be a preparatory thing for the mark, to be put in the head and the hands, but mm -hmm. notice also that it said that uh, if we receive the mark in our head or our hands, now remember in verse 15 says that if we don't see receive the image of the beast, and the image of the beast shall both speak and will cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, nobody's being killed because they're not taking the virus. Matter of fact, they are still pleading with many of the people who have not taken it in order to take it. Yeah. So that nobody, it, it hasn't been a law. Now, remember in the book of Revelation, especially in the 13th chapter, mm -hmm. when it talked about the dragon speaking, mm -hmm. and it's talking about the beast speaking. So the dragon is the one that started the stuff, and then the beast that is in the image of the dragon, it begins to speak the same thing. So the thing that you're looking at, is that who is speaking now mm. when the bible talks about the voice of the dragon or the voice of the beast who is who is speaking well when it talks about the voice speaking that's talking about the government mm. it's the government that speaks now when you talk about a law to kill somebody where's that law coming from it's mm. coming from the government so when the government according to the book of revelation began to speak and say if you do not receive the image of or the mark in your head forehead or in your hand then it is saying that we have made it in law. And mm. then once we make it in the law and you don't receive the mark that we are putting out, then you will be killed. Nobody's being killed for the coronavirus. So it doesn't land up with the place in which, the, which they are shooting it. And it doesn't land up with the fact that the decree or the law has not gone forth in order to kill people if they don't, if, if they don't do it. So now when we get to the mark of the beast, in the hand and in the in the head, it has to be something that we have cognitive powers to understand. And when we deal with the hand, we're not really talking about an understanding. We are talking about just a behavior that is being carried on. So what is the thing that basically separates the mark of the beast 
from the mark of Elohim or from the seal of the beast from the seal of Elohim. What, what, what is basically the difference? Mm -hmm. Well, the basic difference is that a mark is something that is not, the latter part of your question was, was it something physical that we could see? Mm -hmm. Well, in a way you can see it, in a way you can't, because uh, nobody can read another person's mind. So it, it, it has to do something with our cognitive powers. Now, what is the only commandment in the 10 that has to do with your man? All of them have to do with our man, but what is the only commandment that is given to really associate the man to what we are talking about? Mm -hmm. And that's the fourth commandment that says remember. Mm. How can you remember something unless it's associated with the man? Yeah. The man is the only thing that remember. Okay. So when a person keeps the Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, is something that you can see, but it's also in our mind. We can see physically people worshiping on the Sabbath, but then again, uh, a person can be worshiping on the Sabbath, and you can't, you can't see it because they can be worshiping in their minds. True. Now, if they are worshiping in their minds, and it is something that you see visibly, they are going to church or a synagogue or something to worship, you can see the behavior but you can't see what's going on in their mind because they have the Sabbath on their mind because Elohim said keep the Sabbath. And then when you talk about work, it has more to do with the behavior. A person may not, the person may not uh, be able to understand why they shouldn't work on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And when the law go forth and said, you have to work on the Sabbath, they still might not see it, but they receive the mark in their hands because the law is passed that you got to do it. And they begin to do it. And they carry out the behavior without the man really understanding. Wow. So, so you can receive it uh, in your mind by understanding it, and then you go and work on it. You receive it in your hand. You can receive it in, in, in both of those parts. But that's a study in itself. But the Corona COVID nineteen is not tomorrow. Awesome, awesome. And if you're wondering, should we take it? I believe we kind of dealt with that in one of our previous podcasts where we talked about pharmacy and all of the uh, meta modern medicines and whatnot. So, Pastor, can you take us to the throne in prayer before we close out? Hello, and Father, again, we thank you for the privilege of being able to come back on after the blackout. We thank you that the electricity is now on, not only here, but in many thousands of homes that were without electricity. You stepped in, and when you stepped in, you showed out, and you brought the light back, just like you did in the creation, which you said, let there be light, and there was light. And we just give you thanks for the blessing that you have been able to restore upon us. And now, Father, as we discuss today the spiritual support, Help us to know that our baptism was supported by Yeshua, the Messiah, and he supported us not only in our baptism of the cleansing, but supported us in also the baptism of the Holy Spirit, O Holy Father. And now, Father, as we look at this virus that is going around, help us to be able to align these things with the scriptures so we can properly understand what present truth is. It's coming up to all of the truth in the past, but at the same time, is bringing us further into the truth of the last days and help us to be, be able to prepare ourselves with the things that you have said in your word. And as we read Revelation, open up our minds to be able to understand the truth of the matter, that as we do this, that we can prepare ourselves for the coming of the Messiah. So we ask, O oh Father, that you will forgive us where we have sinned, wipe away our sins, wash them away, 
and may the blood of Yeshua continue to cleanse us, and may the water of the word, O heavenly Father, wrench us clean, and may the power of the Holy Spirit give us the power to be able to walk in the way that you would have us to walk. And that the suffering feet of Yeshua, O heavenly Father, may be our feet, that we may have to suffer for the cause, but the suffering and the path of suffering that we walk leads to the kingdom of Elohim. So bless us this day on the Sabbath, and bless us in the week to come. In Yeshua's name we do ask it, and bring us back to next week at the same time at 1 o'clock that we can discuss more of your word. And when we discuss it, it may enhance our spiritual walk with thee. In Yeshua's name we do ask it, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen, Amen. and amen. Amen. I'm Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is Pastor Richard Washington, and we are the Science of the Covenant. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. May Yahuwah bless you and keep you. Until next week, Shalom.